Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Good morning. Just to make life a little bit difficult, I'm going to ask you to stand again so that we can give reverent honor and respect to the infallible word of our Lord today during our scripture reading. If I can find the scripture reading in my own Bible, that would be helpful. Um, So we're going to start Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word, and that through it we get to know you and all that you have commanded us. Uh, I pray today as we uh, continue to learn more about Jonah and what you have done through him and what you did with him, um, that we would come to know you more and more and to worship you more fully. We're thankful for you and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, it happened. There is a bunch 
of students from Penn State on the cross-country team who were out on a group run one day. Now, what happened is they came across a bridge with some railroad tracks, unsure if whether they should cross the their leader of the group kind of spoke up and said, oh, well, the trains don't run on Tuesday, so we should be okay. Without questioning it, or I guess thinking about whether that even seemed like a plausible idea, um, the group decided to cross the bridge. After about 40 feet, they saw the lights of a train coming. So they had to think quickly. Um, they looked ahead, and about 20 feet, there's a little bank on the bridge that they could kind of squeeze in and let the train go by if it passed, or they could turn around 40 feet and uh, try to make it back off the bridge in the other direction. So I'm going to ask for a little bit of congregation participation today. Who would turn around the 40 feet and go back the other way on the bridge? Right, you're running away from the train at least. It's not going to hit you as fast. Maybe you get close enough, you can jump off the side and it will only be like a five-foot drop. Who would take the 20 feet forward towards the train to the, to the little uh, platform? All right, well, y'all are what the students did. Y'all were correct. Um, so you ran towards the train, so did they. And they made it, thankfully, and they all squeezed in. The train goes rushing by. I'm sure if they were like me, they'd have to suck in their gut a lot, um, or there might be some other kind of casualty that happened. Um, but they made that split-second decision, and they made it. And after the train finally finished going by, one of the students turned to the leaders and said, oh, so the trains don't run on Tuesday, do they? <laughs> right, they had the decision to either run towards what they were afraid of or to turn around and run away, much like what Jonah had. Just to give a quick recap of what we discussed last week in our introduction uh, to Jonah, because this will help us as we continue through for the next three weeks after this and for today, right? We spent a great deal of time comparing Jonah and Jesus. Um, we first learned that Jonah was a prophet, uh, one who grew up about three miles away in Gath Heifer from where Jesus did in Nazareth, um, which is, as I pointed out last week, about the length of 22nd Street in Atlantic, um, and that Jesus was partly rejected because he came from Galilee, Clearly not the only reason, but they did want to make sure that no prophet arises from Galilee. And then we also focused on the fact that Jesus was not just a prophet, as Jonah was, but he is also the Messiah. He is the priest. He's our Savior, and he is our King. Uh, we then discussed how Jonah was called to go to Nineveh and to preach repentance. Right? Jesus also preached repentance to the Gentiles and to the Israelites and to the Romans and to the Samaritans and to the tax collectors and to the sinners. But Jesus also healed the sick. He cast out demons. He comforted the lost. And he raised from the dead and defeated sin and death. Finally, last week, we talked about Jonah's response to God's calling, how he had ran away from his calling. Or if you remember from last week, he ran away because I needed to have alliteration like any other good pastor. Um, instead of going to Nineveh, which is in northern Iraq, he ran the opposite direction to Tarshish, which would be in modern Spain. However, right, Jesus never ran away from what he was called to do. 
He knew exactly what he was called to do. He knew exactly what he would go through. He knew the persecution. He knew the torture, and he knew the death that he would endure, and he never backed away from what he was called to do. So, does anyone remember Viewmasters? Right? They're these red plastic things, and they got these little wheels in them they put in, right? Pretty cool technology, except like today we have like VR goggles and stuff that's like way better than a Viewmaster was. But I remember when I was six, we went to visit, my dad was working in Washington State on a project for his work. So we, we took two weeks of our vacation, we went to visit my dad in Washington, we went to see some mountains and stuff, and I got my Viewmaster with some slides of the mountains that I'm sure if you searched hard enough in my parents' house, it's probably still there. Uh, but for you kids that don't know, like you could see like these 3D images of slides, kind of like an old school slideshow. Um, but it's super cool. Um, I don't think they're all red, but that's kind of what my memory is of them. Um, right? And then you'd click the thing down and it'd turn the film and you'd see the next scene. But what I love about the book of Jonah is that it's almost like a view master for the entire Bible. If you remember last week, we kind of we went back to Genesis 10 to talk about stuff. We popped forward into Matthew, Mark, and Luke to talk about stuff. We went to 2 Kings, where Jonah is also mentioned, and then also kind of talked about how Jonah, his narrative is not really like any other minor prophet. It's more like what we read about Elijah and Elisha in First and Second Kings. Um, and so through Jonah, we get to see all these different scenes in Scripture, and that's going to be no different today as we continue forward. So as we go, right, I'm going to kind of remind you, give this visual reminder that we are going to be clicking slides through our Viewmaster. So as we take our first slide, we're going to look at how Jonah can remind us of Paul today. So this is verses 4 through 6 in Jonah chapter 1. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Right, so after Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh and to preach for them, to turn from their evil ways, he decides to run. Or like I said last week, to run in the complete opposite direction. Instead of taking a sh instead he took a ship towards Spain. Now, Jonah knew that God was omnipresent, just like we do. He knew that he couldn't simply just run away from the Lord. I assume his intention was that he kind of just hoped that the Lord wouldn't force his will upon him. And he was like, yeah, if I go the other way, maybe God will also just look the other way. That's just not how it works sometimes. Um, and so, like last week, we talked about Jonah receiving this commission from God and how he responded but today we get to see God's response to Jonah's response to his commission. I hope that sentence was as clear as mud for you. Um, no matter what Jonah's intentions are, God's plan will not be thwarted. 
And the same can be said of us. No matter what our intentions are, we cannot thwart the plans of God. Right? And as we see this storm rage, let's not make any mistake. This isn't a mere coincidence. Right? This is God who hurls this storm. He holds this sovereign power that even the land, the sea, the winds, the weather, all obeys God's commands. In the ancient world, sailing was an incredibly dangerous job, and the sea was thought of as a terrifying place, right? especially for the Israelites, who I'm going to call them landlocked, even though obviously they're western borders on the Mediterranean Sea, um, but we're not, we don't really know the Israelites as a seafaring people, right? Instead, they're more like desert nomads than they are high seas pirates, um, right? What we've seen of the Israelites, they wandered the desert. Um, their forefathers had been shepherds, um, but we don't really read about any who were necessarily sailors. Right? God was in control of the sea, and each culture would have, in their pantheon of gods, would have their own God who controlled it. But Jonah would know the one true God who was sovereign over everything. So first, let's look at how the sailors respond to this storm. Right? First thing they do is that they are terrified. Right? And their terror is completely understandable. Right? The storm is breaking up their ship, probably beginning to flood it. Right? For us that live in Iowa, we maybe feel the same way when we experience tornadoes. Or I know I'm going to mispronounce this word, but the derechos? All right, I'm not telling, no one's like saying way off. For me, growing up 30 years in Houston, it was through the many hurricanes that I lived through. Right, we, these are all terrifying events, no less so for the sailors here. Right, their lives are in danger. Their second response is that they pray to their own gods. Right? Their first action is to cry out towards their gods. They're probably wondering, what did they do to deserve this judgment? Or what did they forget to do to appease their own gods before they set sail for safe travels? Or they may be wondering which of these other people did something so grievous that the God of the sea has decided that we all need to die for it. But next, they try to do practical things. They try to save their ship. Not being followers of the one true God, their prayers are clearly ineffective. Um, the storm isn't really about the sailors to begin with. God's intention isn't to judge or to harm the sailors here. His intention isn't really even to harm Jonah, although that's probably what Jonah is hoping for. Um, through his actions, I, I assume that Jonah is kind of just hoping he's going to die in all of this, so he still doesn't have to go to Nineveh. Um, but God's intention is to stop Jonah from running, just like the students decided to run towards the train rather than away from the train. Right, we also cannot run from our calling from 
We cannot run from our calling that God has given us. We can try, but just like Jonah, God will stop you and will set you on the correct path. So their only hope, really, at this point for the sailors is to try to save the ship and their lives. And to do that, they're tossing their precious cargo, probably hoping that lightening the ship will help them break free of the storm sooner. Unfortunately, once again, this has nothing to do with the weight of their ship. All the sailors are not Israelites. They have still received the common grace from God that they're still trying to do everything, not just to protect themselves, but to protect everyone on board, including Jonah. Now, finally, when all else fails, they try to encourage Jonah to pray to the Lord. Jonah, who's fast asleep through this whole experience, is the cause of this entire mess. When the sailors' own prayers don't work, when tossing the cargo doesn't work, they finally look for that odd passenger who is on board. Maybe when they were going down into the base of the ship to pull out cargo, maybe they saw him taking a nice nap down there. Um, So they send the captain. The captain wakes him up, and he... His first words are the same ones that God uses in his call to Jonah in verse 2. Arise, call, or arise, go. Um, I'm sure for Jonah, this was pretty startling to hear the same words of the Lord be pronounced to him in this way. How sad is it that in this storm, Jonah, the prophet needs to be woken up to pray to his God for protection. So how did Jonah respond to this storm? Well, he went into the belly of the ship, took a nap, right? Not really caring for his own life and certainly not caring for the life of the other sailors on board. Now, here's where you can relate it to Paul. We're going to look at a very similar situation that Paul experiences in Acts chapter 27. You can flip to it. I'm going to read a small chunk of it, but it's, it's really long. So unless we want my sermon to go into tomorrow, I'm not going to read the whole passage for you. Um, so on the way to Rome, right, Paul had appealed to Caesar, right? He's taken... And he's taken by ship through the Mediterranean, just like Jonah is here. Um, It's a slow journey. They arrive to Crete late. Paul then prophesies that they should stay there for the winter, for he foresees great loss to come of the cargo and life if they continue on for now. Paul's ship, well, the captain says, no, we're going to continue anyways. I I don't know why I should listen to you. So they go on anyways, and this ship is also hit by a great storm, just like Jonah's is here. And the crew even has to go out and throw out the cargo and some of the equipment to stay alive. For days, they can't even see the sun or the stars at night to navigate. Probably similar to the crew on Jonah's ship, and they're at a loss of what to do. So Paul, however, takes a very different approach than Jonah does. He waits to hear from the Lord. So this is verses 22 to 26 in Acts 27. 
Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Just as Paul says, they do take their ship and they run aground on Malta. Um, but the crew does survive, just as Paul said they would. Right. And how different are Paul and Jonah here? Paul, instead of running, instead of being scared, instead of taking a nap, Paul decides to rely on the Lord for protection. Right. And even from his calling, instead of running away, he ran towards it. He appealed to Caesar, becoming a prisoner and being shipped off to Rome so that he could share the gospel there. Once again, Jonah did nothing but run. Jonah didn't call out to God. He didn't even try to do what the Gentiles on his ship were doing, even trying practical things to save it. Instead, he took a nap. So my question for us is, how do we respond to the storms that are in our lives? Do we cry out to God for help? Do we even do the practical things that, like, the sailors were doing? Or, like Jonah, do we kind of try to ignore it, sweep it under the rug, take a nice nap, hoping that they will just pass by? And how do we respond to the storms that are in other people's lives? Because often, just like here, it's not just your own, but those sailors are going through it too. As we move on, we're going to click through our Viewmaster onto our next scene with the prodigal son. Right, so this is verse 7 through 10 of Jonah 1. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Right, the sailors had already cried out to their own gods. And the captains already implored Jonah to do the same, but nothing has changed yet. So I'm sure the sailors are wondering, who is it that's being punished? So they cast lots to find out. To us and our kind of agnostic culture, we would kind of think the casting of lots to be ridiculous. Um, but even in the casting of lots, God is still sovereign, and that's why we see it throughout Scripture. He still has control over who that lot will be cast on, and that's why it points to Jonah. And then the sailors ask an interesting set of questions to Jonah which to me seem like pretty good like get-to-know-you questions that you, know, you might ask at some kind of icebreaker. Um, 
at least introverted me maybe needs to see this list for when I talk to you after the service. Um, what do you do for work? Where are you from? But their intention isn't really to get to know Jonah. They have one question in mind as they're asking all of this that they're trying to pare down to, which is, who is your God? And why have you offended him and put us all into this dangerous situation? They'd already all prayed to their own gods, and the captain had already cried out to Jonah to pray to his. As far as we know, Jonah has not done so yet. So who is Jonah? He identifies himself. He answers their questions. He's a Hebrew. He fears the Lord, or Yahweh, the God of heaven, who created the sea and the dry land. Now to the sailors, I'm sure this really stuck out to them. A God of the sea and the dry land probably has control of all this, and no wonder it's you that have put us in this situation. Um, Maybe they've even heard of Yahweh, right? Jonah had prophesied in 2 Kings that the border of Israel would re-expand back to where it was under Solomon's reign. Maybe they'd heard about that. Or maybe they'd heard about his previous history with the Israelites, about bringing them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the desert, and conquering the land of Canaan. Maybe there's still even some knowledge of King David and King Solomon out there. But I'm sure that they're all pretty surprised by the nonchalant attitude of Jonah towards it all. I'm sure they're sitting there wondering, like, so you know you've offended your Lord, and you're just going to let us all pay for it? Why? I'm I'm sure they're trying to connect the dots there. But of course, right, Jonah's reasoning is he is more afraid of the Ninevites than he is of the Lord. So he would rather die and everyone with him than to have to go to Assyria and preach repentance to the Ninevites. His continued fear and desire to run from God reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son. For those who are unfamiliar, this parable is found in Luke chapter 15. It's about a man who has two sons. The younger son asks for a share of his inheritance, which he would eventually get when his father died. So essentially his asking is like, I know I'm going to get this from you one day, Dad, but you're not dead soon enough, so please give it to me now. And so he gets his inheritance, he leaves home, and he squanders it all. So when he's out on his luck and he's poor, Right? He decides to return to his father, saying that his servants are treated better than his current conditions are. So he does return, hoping just to be a servant. But his father instead accepts him back, not as a servant, but as his son. He gives him a robe, a ring, and throws a party for the return of his youngest son. The older brother, however, is pretty upset. He stood by his father this entire time, didn't offend him by essentially asking him to die sooner, um, but he had never given him a party or celebrated him. But his brother, who took from his father and threw it all away, is back and has a party. Currently, Jonah is like the younger brother here. He has prophesied for the Lord. He clearly knows him and has heard his voice 
but for now, he wants to do everything except for serve the Lord. All right, as a prophet, he runs away and sails off to Tarshish, preferring death than to obey God. Just a little bit of a spoiler, where, a spoiler alert. We will eventually talk about Jonah being like the older brother. He gets to play both parts in this prodigal. Um, but not yet. That'll be a couple weeks away. But for now, I think it's fair to call Jonah the prodigal prophet. Right, he runs away from the Lord as someone who has the privilege to hear directly from him. My question for us is, aren't we also like Jonah? Right? How often do we hesitate to share the gospel with people in our lives who need it? Do we even care about spreading the gospel in our own community? Do we even care about how our global partners are doing in spreading the gospel around the world? And when we don't share the gospel with the lost that we know, Aren't we being exactly like Jonah? Right, we're leaving the sailors who are in our lives to die in the sin that they practice. Are we lovers of our own comfort more than we are lovers of God and his commands? So, we're going to click our viewmaster into our final scene today where we get to take a look at Jonah and Jesus and great. 3D images. So, this is verse 11 through 16 of Jonah chapter 1. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So this storm continues to grow and become worse and worse for the crew. Um, I'm sure the sailors are feeling really stuck, you know, between a rock and a hard place here. Will throwing Jonah off the boat appease the Lord? Or will it only make him more angry? Which one is actually the right decision? Now Jonah tells them, if you cast me off, then the storm will certainly stop. But let's be real, Jonah hasn't exactly been a very credible person so far in all of this. I probably, if I were one of the sailors, would not be taking Jonah at his word, like, oh yeah, you 100% know. Yeah, I'm trying to do anything yet, so surely this is the thing that's, that's going to help us. So the sailors try to take things in their own matters. They try to row back to the dry land. The fact that they even attempted this probably means that they hadn't made it very far into their journey. Um, and of course, if they've already abandoned their cargo at this point, they're not really likely to make it all the way to Tarshish without their cargo anyways. Um, but rowing back seems 
pretty impossible unless they're very close to where they began. But as they try to row back, the storm rages on even harder. And then unlike Jonah, the sailors actually call out to the Lord. And we know that this isn't just God in general, right? Near ESV, whatever translation there you are using, certainly Lord is spelled with either like drop caps or some kind of special caps to show you that this is a transliteration of Yahweh, right? They are calling out to his God for him because he is still yet to do so. They're begging for their life to not be extinguished because of Jonah, but accepting that the Lord has done what, he has pleased, what has pleased him. Finally, they've done everything they can to protect Jonah and come to the conclusion that sacrificing him to the sea is the only option left. So they throw him overboard, just like any pirate would, and the storm stops. The men are so shocked that they begin to fear the Lord and make offerings, sacrifices, and vows unto him. Jonah, the prophet, had not done any of this so far, yet the sailors are doing it because they have seen the great sovereign power of the Lord through all of this. Right, so far, these pagan sailors have obeyed and sought the Lord more than Jonah has in this entire book so far. And he's a prophet of the Lord. And what's interesting to me is that the scene of a storm-tossed sea is common throughout Scripture, right? We already saw it with Paul and Acts, and we get to see almost this exact same scene happen with Jesus in all of these synoptic Gospels. If you want to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 4 with me, I'm going to read about Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them on the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep, on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind in the sea, obey him. In the Gospels, Jesus compares himself to Jonah more than any other prophet. Interesting, based on what we've read about Jonah, I would not say that he's particularly similar to Jesus, except in what he was supposed to do, but his actions are certainly not similar. But Jesus, don't get me wrong on this, Jesus quotes other prophets more but he doesn't identify himself with Isaiah or the Malachi, but he does compare himself to Jonah, which next week we're going to look into a bit further. But how similar is this passage about Jesus? 
Jesus and the disciples are in a boat on the sea, although it is the Sea of Galilee rather than the Mediterranean, and the great storm rages on. And Jesus, like Jonah, is sleeping in the boat. The storm is breaking apart the boat and filling it with water. I wonder if the disciples even thought about Jonah while all this was going on. But as the disciples fear the storm, they wake Jesus up just as the captain wakes up Jesus. What do you mean, you sleeper? And do you not care that we are perishing? Are pretty similar statements here. In contrast, though, Jesus doesn't do nothing like Jonah and doesn't just let everyone continue the panic and to worry about their coming death. He himself does what is needed to end the storm. He rebukes the wind. Right? Jonah could have repented. He could have cried out to the Lord and said, I'm sorry for running. I know that you see and know all things. I know this storm is because of me. If you relent, I will have the crew return me to Joppa, and I will proceed as you have called me to. But Jonah didn't do that. Instead, he continued to let the crew do everything, even calling out to his own God for him. Jesus instead is showing to the disciples in this very moment that he is God as he calms the sea. I can imagine Jesus thinking, haven't you seen all that I've done already? Don't you know who I am? So that you may know, just like in the day of Jonah, I am the Lord of the sea and the dry land. I calm the sea. More importantly, I am the one who brings salvation. But Jonah isn't even able to save himself in this chapter. Not from the raging storm, and he is certainly not able to save himself from hell. How much are we like Jonah? How do we run from what God has called us to? How much do we try to do things by our own strength as the sailors did? And how much do we live in fear of the storms that rage in our lives? Maybe today you're sitting here and you've been running whether it's from a storm, or maybe you've been running from Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to do it all on your own, by your own strength. Maybe you've been going through life, fighting whatever comes your way. Maybe you've been trying to rebuke the waves yourself and the wind and the storm on your own. Just like the disciples and the sailors are unable to calm the storm by themselves, neither can you or me or any of us in this room. But as we read, right, Jesus is the eternal Son of God most high, and he is able to calm those storms. Jesus is the one who is able to give us the peace that we are seeking in our lives. Jesus is the only way to find that eternal security and salvation. The sin and the worldly pleasures that we run to only amplify the storms that rage in our lives. Jesus, he is the one that before the creation of the earth had planned to come and be the perfect sacrifice to win a people for himself. His coming was not God's B plan, right? Don't 
ever think that, right? It was the plan from the very beginning. Before the creation of the world, Jesus knew that he was going to come and win salvation for a people. He always knew that he was going to come. He knew that he would bear the weight of sin, guilt, and shame for those who trust in him on the cross. Right, today, if you have not already made this decision to follow Jesus, I implore you to do so today. Right, don't be like Jonah, running away from the Lord who is calling you to himself. Come to Jesus who alone can calm the storm that rages on. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for your son who did come and bore the weight of sin and death for us and that he not only died on the cross, but that he rose again and defeated that same sin and death that we are so terrified of in our world. But I hope that if there's anyone here who has not put their trust in you, that you will reach out to them and that you will call them to yourself, that they will not run away, but that they will run straight to you, knowing that you are the one who gives us that hope, that peace, and that security. As we continue to move forward, Lord, we just thank you so much for everything that you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to move on to communion this morning. Um, if you're at home and you haven't gotten your juice and your bread yet, feel free to do so. Um, for us here in person, yeah, I'm done so because we're doing it differently today and because I've never experienced the old way that you did communion here. Prepare for some things to be different and weird and and probably it'll never be done this way again, the way that I'm doing it, right? He'll probably, Don will be back next month, and he will know what normally happens. Um, so uh, I'm going to ask for the elders to come up, um, and they're going to pass the trays through the rows with our old, the cups we've been using as the bread and, and the juice together in it. Um, so let me go ahead and ask the, the elders to be, or let me pray for the Lord's Supper for us real quick. Dear Lord, we're so thankful that we get to take part in this ordinance that you have prepared for us, um, that on the night that you were betrayed, that you gave this to your disciples, and that we get to continue to do it in remembrance of you. Help us to remember the meaning of this, and that we are remembering your death on the cross, but that we are also remembering your resurrection. We're thankful for you and all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we pass out communion, I'd like to remind you that the Lord's Supper is for believers. If you have not put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ yet, I would simply ask you to abstain from taking it this morning. But you do not have to be a member of Grace Point Church. You do not have to be a member of the Evangelical Free Church to partake. If you trust in Jesus as your Savior, then you are welcome to share in the Lord's Supper with us this morning.
now as we go through partaking of the Lord's Supper together. Let me let the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 11 guide us. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you to open the bread. There's a clear part of your package here. There's two layers, so just remove the clear one for now. I'll get this little wafer. And Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ, broken for you. You may partake. Now you can remove that foil layer, the bottom layer on your cup for the juice. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 11. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, the blood of Christ shed for your sins, you may partake. The apostle concludes, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we are so thankful for you and for what you did on the cross that you were that perfect sacrifice that atoned for the sins of those who believe in you help us to remember this that you have said that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood and that we know that you have done this for us Um, help us to remember as we go about the work that you have done that we could never do on our own. We trust in you, and we're thankful for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.